Who Rules the World? A new podcast by European Union youth delegates Lucia and Nadia on SoundCloud and other platforms. I am Lucia. And I'm Nadia. In Who Rules the World podcast, we will talk about the European Union and United Nations and all the burning world issues that our generation will have to face when our time comes to rule the world. Hello and welcome to this episode of Who Runs the World podcast, which is a podcast that Lucia and I, who are the two EU youth delegates, are hosting. So for this episode, we will talk about the stock taking of youth engagement at COP27. This is a special episode because we are here at Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt, where COP27 is hosted. And with me, I have Joshua, uh, who has kindly uh, accepted the invitation to, to be part of this uh, podcast. And before I talk more about the episode itself, I will, you know, briefly just, you know, ask you to, to present yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Amponsim. I'm from Ghana. Um, I work mainly on climate and youth engagement, advising institutions, public and private, uh, civil society, NGOs, on how they can better work with young people. I am currently serving as the climate lead for the Office of the Secretary General's Envoy Youth. And how has it been for you to be here at COP27? You've been there for the two, whole two weeks, right? Yes, I've been here for the whole two weeks, yes. Um, it's been two weeks, it's been great. Um, there has been uh, a lot of young people present at um, this COP, which is very exciting. And I think more than the numbers, uh, there's also increasing spaces being available for young people to really contribute to conversations, uh, which is something that uh, we should all be proud of. Thank you so much, Joshua, for the kind introduction. And, you know, so for this episode, we will first talk about, you know, how does it go with youth involvement here at COP27? And then we'll also talk more about afterwards, you know, what is needed in the future on the way to COP28 and also beyond in other climate-related UN processes. Uh, So for this COP27, there's been a lot of focus from the organizers about involving young people. We see that concretely in that there is a youth day, which is thematic day where focus is on young people and then there's also been a conference of youth before uh, COP27 and then there's also been a youth envoy and and point that for COP27 which is the first time. Joshua can you please elaborate a bit on all the different kinds of initiatives that have been here at COP27 and and how they work? Great Um, so I would just take it a little bit back and talk about how the, uh, the, the climate Uh, policy process work at international level within the UNFCCC. So the UN Climate Change Secretariat uh, provides space for different constituencies and and groups to function. And one of those is the youth uh, constituency, which is uh, popularly known as YONGO, which represents youth NGOs. Uh, So YONGO for every uh, uh, policy process on climate within the UNFCCC are given a seat at the table to bring Uh, a representative youth voice to contribute to the policy conversation on what young people want to see, what they want to achieve. Uh, So whether it's finance, adaptation, mitigation, technology, uh, regardless of the topic, agriculture, (laughs) there is a space for young people to contribute to that. So that is one sort of the overall youth space uh, at COP. 
and then Yongo as the youth constituency then uh, to be able to come together and finalize their plans uh, for COP, they hold a conference of youth. Uh, and before the conference of youth is held at the international level, there are local conference of youth and regional conference of youth that happens. And all of that then comes together at, uh, at the general sort of conference of youth, which is COI 70, which happened in Egypt. And there they get the chance to look at the global youth statement, which is a statement that combines all the different priorities of young people, which is then going to be submitted to policymakers. So that is one track that happens. Uh, and, and a lot of young people come together to, uh, as a place where they can also a little bit build capacity, but also get a chance to strategize and mobilize uh, uh, towards COP. Um, this year, for the first time, uh, we've had a COP27 youth envoy. Uh, which is very exciting role because it allow a youth activist uh, to work together with a COP presidency uh, to integrate and bring in youth perspective uh, mainly uh, to COP. I think it's very important to note that for previous years there has been a youth team within the presidency uh, that work with young people equally uh, but this time we have an envoy which is an individual who is really sort of uh, a champion in that. Uh, uh, so previously there has also been integration of young people in, uh, within the COP process and this time we have an envoy who is doing that. Uh, in addition to that, we've had uh, uh, different representatives uh, from country level, whether they are part of their youth delegation, their, their country delegation, as the youth delegates who come to, who come to COP. Uh, in some cases, youth delegates are empowered to be negotiators. So an example would be Ghana, uh, where the Youth Climate Council in Ghana has worked together with the government of Ghana and the delegation to make sure that young people who are coming are also trained to be negotiators to be able to negotiate. In other cases, the youth delegates are here to learn uh, from the delegation, uh, the national delegation, to understand the, their process and also sort of understand international climate policy. Uh, so these are some of the spaces that exist uh, at COP and of course for every COP we have the Youth and Future Generations Day which is a day where all the focus is on young people, future generations, what they want to see, what role they are playing, what are their key messages so that policymakers can integrate that. Thank you so much for your good answer. I have also seen that there is a youth and children pavilion where I've seen that you have been hanging around, being a lot. Uh, can you maybe elaborate a bit on you know, the role of that pavilion and you know, what has actually happened at, at that pavilion? So the youth pavilion, uh, this is also the first time we have in a children and youth pavilion. Um, for previous COP, as you would see, countries have their pavilion where the country delegates will meet plan their event and there was not something like this for young people to plan and run events continuously over the two weeks. We only have the youth and future generations day where we can have events. So this time uh, under the leadership of um, a Safe Children Investment Fund Foundation, they have been able to support together with the high level champions uh, uh, and the COP presidents to be able to have this pavilion uh, which exists where a lot of young people get a chance uh, to, to, to interact, to run their event, to, to design their programs uh, from the Office of the Youth Envoy. We were active at this pavilion as well for some days running a communications campaign, publicizing and giving a platform to young grassroots activists who do not always get a chance to have media focusing on their work. Uh, so this is exciting. Uh, it's the first time it's happening and we already have um, uh, uh, the confidence of 
the COP28 uh, presidency that this is something that they would like to take forward and keep having. So it's, it's really a, a very progressive step for young people uh, who work on the climate policy at COP. Thank you so much and, and really interesting. So something that interests me a lot is the global differences around the world in regards to you know, how many young people are actually included from, from different kinds of countries. Can you maybe elaborate a bit on you know, what kind of differences do we see across the world? You know, are, are there equal representation or if not, which is the case, uh, how, does, you know, how does it look when getting young people involved from, from across the world? I think that no, but back then, say a few years ago, representation was a very, very difficult topic because it was extremely difficult to get young people from different countries to come and travel and be in these international conferences. I think that since last year, COP26 in Glasgow, COP27 here now in Sham, the amount of young people all across sort of every room that you enter is very fantastic, it's marvelous. Uh, there is a great representation whether indigenous, whether LGBTQI, whether uh, people with disability. There is a great representation. Uh, I think what is important that need to be looking at, that need to be looked at, is the resources that are given to support people when they're already here. So, what resources are given? Uh, are they able to, you know, have the right access to accommodation, be able to interact and have uh, uh, access to events? Uh, have the agenda properly developed, know which events they want to attend. And I know that the COP27 Youth Envoy helped develop a toolkit to help people who were attending COP for the first time. But I think that we need to do more than that beyond attending COP for the first time. I think we need to start educating the youth movement around who has to be at COP, what is COP actually meant for? Is it a place that every young activist should be or not? And if you ask me, the answer is no. It's a particular place for negotiations, for dialogues on climate policy. And those who work on that topic need to be here. But it shouldn't become the benchmark that if you're a youth activist and you don't go to COP, then you're no longer uh, an activist. And I think this is really wrong. Uh, so that we shouldn't focus so much on how many young people are here. I think we should focus on the role that young people play when they are here. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and maybe also just to add then, you know, the whole point about representation is really key, uh, in my view at least, when it comes to, to who is actually here. Because as you say, we will not be able to have everyone here. Uh, also not good for the climate. If we have to fly everyone in from all over the world, we need to ensure that everyone is represented. But, you know, that would really be through others. So talking about representation and, and people who potentially not are here, then you, we also talk a lot about, you know, children and future generations. Uh, when it comes to youth engagement here and I think this is really uh, interesting to talk about because it's a you know fairly new topic uh, and you know I think it's also important to point out that we as young people cannot uh, represent children and future generations because we're not but we're still allies in in some way or another and I think it's really you know important for us to to keep uh, those uh, parts of society in in mind um, also you know when when seeing that there is a children and youth pavilion you know that is also something where you see a collaboration across and also when you are hearing the our common agenda our common agenda report which is published by the secretary general then he also talks a lot about future generations but Joshua, can you maybe elaborate a bit on you know what we as young people can actually do to to include the perspectives or empower children uh, and and potentially also future generations in global decision making related to climate I think that the concept of future generations 
um, is something that we cannot simply embody uh, uh, by just using the word and having a, a, a young person, whether Gen Z or millennial or whatever, talking about future generations just bluntly. I think what we need to do is to invest in research that allows us to understand the trajectory, the, the sort of project where we are heading to uh, in terms of climate risk, in terms of policy, and understand what are the potential pathways that the next generation of, of, of sort of um, um, uh, of people who will live on this planet, what will be the best way to safeguard this planet for them and really act on that. So I think the word children in future generations and, and youth when we talk about this, it's not necessarily bringing a one-year-old baby to come and sit on the negotiation table, but I think it's really uh, having the understanding that we are working in their interest and we need to think about what would be the ideal case, uh, the world that they would want to live in, a world that they can actually sort of thrive uh, inside uh, and I think that sometimes most young people forget about this uh, and they use that language and they use that way but they're just talking about themselves and what they want and what they want to see uh, also forgetting that is when we say children and future generations it's really not about just the next 10 20 years it's also about the next 50 years the next 100 years uh, and being able to really have that understanding and work towards that and I think a lot of this can be bridged with uh, uh, providing resources for research for the youth movement, uh, particularly funding, uh, expertise to be able to do sort of critical research to understand what are the 10-year-olds of today think mm. when they think about the 30 years where they, want to, where they want to live and which planet they want to live on, what are their priorities as kids on the things that they want to see in the environment and how do we provide that for them. So things like that will be important uh, uh, in representing future generations uh, dearly. Yeah. Thank you so much and, and really interesting and I also really like your point about, you know, thinking about someone else and only ourselves. Also, you know, when talking about that young people are really diverse and, and that perspective is really something that I think is important to, to keep in mind, not just across, you know, generations, but also just within our own generation. Uh, we see that there are a lot of differences and I at least think that it's problematic when you talk about our generation as, you know, one whole. Um, so how, what do you think we can do to actually get, you know, more diversity in regards to the young people participating here? And that could both be related to, to gender, sexuality or, uh, you know, people's educational background. I think that um, as the movement, we need to have the power of convening. If you're able to convene, we can discuss and set our priorities and know who is best to represent us when the seat is given. And I think currently that doesn't happen. Currently, when the seat is given, it becomes very competitive. Everyone wants to take that seat. Uh, but that seat doesn't necessarily, whoever takes that seat, does not necessarily represent the movement. And I've said this many times that sometimes I see panels where uh, one person is invited to speak somewhere and they say, oh, this is the voice of the youth. It's never the voice of the youth. It cannot be the voice of the youth until that person has actually been selected and chosen by the movement itself that, okay, given this topic, you are the right person to talk on our behalf. Uh, but if the movement doesn't have the resource to do that, that's not going to be possible. The second part of uh, sort of uh, how we bridge this is um, having the skill to do research and scoping. I think there are new emerging movements every day. There are new activists coming up every day. But in the same way, there are new priority areas of priorities uh, for young people every day. And if the youth movement, particularly those who already have access to these political spaces and these climate policy spaces, if they do not have the resource to connect with those emerging movements, to know their priorities, then they will not be able to really diversify who represents uh, at COP and such international conferences. So for me, this will be a way of bridging those gaps. Mm. 
Thank you so much. And you already answered a bit of my next question, but you know, I still want to ask it to you because you might have you know additional points to it. But what do you see as the biggest challenges for for youth involvement, you know, today and in the future? I think the the challenge here for me two ways. One is the willingness of young people to engage in politics. You know, from the office of the Secretary General of One Youth, together with the Body Shop, we're running a campaign, Be Seen, Be Heard, where our key message is that, you know, young people are increasingly the highest population that lives on this planet. We are seen, but we are not heard, right? But for that to happen, we need to encourage both the current political system to open up spaces for young people to become decision makers and get involved in politics. At the same time, encourage young people to take interest in politics and policy making. We can strike, we can write, we can research, we can advocate, but until after we do all of that, we are the mercy of a policymaker really adopting sort of the things we are asking for. So it's very important that we get involved in that. So that is one thing. That the second part uh, of this challenge is finance. Mm-hmm. The youth movement faces a lot of challenge on finance. We just had a report released by the Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group which states that 0.76 of global climate philanthropy goes to young people and out of 0.76 majority of them goes to US-based youth organizations leaving global south to barely nothing and I think that until the movement has resources to really operate and operate effectively we will not be able to bring that expertise and I've seen so many panels where people say that oh we are trusting the youth to save the planet well we cannot save the planet if we do not have the resources and the decision-making mandate to be able to do that. So if you really want to achieve that, we need to open our spaces and we need to work with youth to have the resources and the political capacity to drive decisions. So who do you think should deliver those resources? Do you think that it should be, you know, the richer parties or should it be the UN or, you know, how do you see the potential financing mechanism for, for young people? I think that finance has to come from everywhere. The national government need to set aside budget that is specifically for the youth movement to work with. At the same way, international organizations who work at the grassroots level need to include youth participation really as part of their program and said that as part of their budget planning for countries, you know, a percentage, a quota is given to the youth movement. Uh, I think that within the United Nations and the work that the UN does, it's very imperative and I think that advocacy is going on really encouraging countries to do this, encouraging private sector to do this, encouraging businesses to do this, encouraging all public institutions to involve young people. And I think it was of desperate that the Secretary General himself set up the Youth Advisory Group uh, to advise him on climate change because until we give young people that space where they can get closer to decision making and be able to contribute to that, all the artwork and everything is still on the margins, right? So uh, for me, the resources, both finance and political spaces, need to come from all sectors. Thank you so much and, and really interesting. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, so there's a lot of things going on already in regards to, to how the UN works with involving young people. And one of one example of this is the establishment of the UN Youth Office, uh, which is really interesting and really something where you can see that the UN, you know, prioritizing getting, you know, young people heard in a more structured way. Can you elaborate a bit on how you would see, you know, uh, points like, you know, the UN Youth Office contributing to strengthen youth involvement at you know future uh, COPs, potentially COP28, but also beyond? Great. Um, so I think from my side, the, the UN Youth Office, um, it's of course fantastic that we have, we've been able to achieve this. 
people have been looking forward to this for many years and finally we are here um, there are a few things which i will say a uh, this is a great opportunity for us to work on both climate peace and security and economic development i think this is very very essential the priorities uh, for the era we live in and the office being able to bring all of that together is fantastic because the youth movement is so focused on intersectionality and i think that intersectionality is what the office will embody to make sure that young people will be able to give that exemplary uh, leadership of not working in silos but being able to work together whether it's peace security environmental justice climate justice uh, uh, inequalities economic development being able to work on all of that so that is one of the areas that i really look forward to i think the second part is really having a higher access of coordination uh, as a priority where coordinating different resources within the UN, different activities within the United Nations and member states to make sure that young people are working in a more progressive way. They are working and building upon each other's work and complementing each other's work as opposed to currently uh, having different initiatives going in different directions and even sometimes in a very competitive environment. So these are things that I see that from now to COP28, uh, uh, the UN Youth Office and its establishment uh, together with the COP presidencies will be able to help uh, bridge the youth movement to become more stronger. Thank you so much, Joshua. That is really interesting and, and I really agree uh, with, with the points that you are saying. And I think it's it's quite interesting how you know young people are really getting empowered uh, and, and it's definitely more things that we need to do on the way to, to COP28. And I'm really looking forward to working together with you and a lot of other young people on, on getting this to be even more meaningful and also even more representative so that we are not, as you're saying, just bringing a lot of young random people to, to Cops, but that we are actually getting young people representing more than just themselves. Unfortunately, we will have to wrap up this episode. Um, and I really also want to apologize for the noise in the background. Uh, we are at COP27 and it's a really noisy space uh, where there are a lot of people going around. But it's also great that it's, you know, a lot of dynamics is happening and there are so many conversations here. Um, but, but yeah, looking forward to, to collaborate more. And then I just want to wish you a great uh, cop uh, for the you know rest of the days here. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak you. with us. Thank you so much. And yeah, greetings to your audience and looking forward to yeah, COP28 and how amazing youth involvement will be. Thank you. This was Who Rules the World podcast by European Union Youth Delegates Lucia and Nadia. WRW coming soon with next episode on SoundCloud and other platforms.